Hi there, this is James Holman. On newsy days like these, I'm grateful for my colleagues at the Washington Post. Our reporters work around the clock and around the world to uncover the stories that are shaping our lives and to bring context to the historic events happening around us. Their reporting is what drives this podcast, and truly, it would not be possible without subscriber support. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support the reporting that goes into it, the best way to do so is through a subscription to The Post. A subscription gets you unlimited access to everything we publish, from breaking news to baking tips. For a limited time, listeners can get two years of access for just $59. That's less than $1 a week. Learn more and subscribe at washingtonpost.com slash subscribe. Again, that's washingtonpost.com slash subscribe. And now here's the podcast. Good morning. I'm James Holman from the Washington Post, and this is the Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 19th. In today's news, QAnon adherents discuss posing as National Guard troops to infiltrate the inauguration. Senate committees will hold hearings today for Joe Biden's national security nominees. And COVID lockdowns, protests, and election strife cause record gun sales. But first, the big idea. More than 30,000 falsehoods and lies. More than 400,000 coronavirus deaths. Rising white nationalism, financial self-dealing, a social media ban, two impeachments, and a deadly attack on the Capitol. President Trump's four years in office come to a close tomorrow after a reign defined by constant chaos, corruption, and scandal. A tenure that numerous scholars predict is destined to rank him among America's worst presidents. The historians preparing to reckon with Trump's legacy say it's not just him who will be examined in the harsh reflection of history's mirror, but also American society and our nation's commitment to democracy. Several scholars tell David Nakamura that Trump's relentless attacks on civic institutions, provoking of racial and social divisions, trampling of political norms, broadsides against the free press, and impugning of America's international allies have raised profound questions about the nature of American governance and the endurance of the values the United States has long professed to cherish. Matt Dalek, a historian at George Washington University, says Trump and Trumpism have brought those flaws into sharp relief. Alas, the social conditions that brought so many people to believe the falsehoods Trump has told, including about the election and the litany of other issues, took root decades before he became a political figure, and they'll extend far beyond his four years. Presidential historian Doug Brinkley of Rice said, you never want to be ranked below William Henry Harrison, who was only president for one month. He got sick at his inauguration and never recovered. If you rank below Harrison, it means you've harmed the country. Brinkley says there's no doubt Trump will be in a category far below Harrison, alongside people like James Buchanan and Andrew Johnson. Trump's final job approval rating in the last Gallup tracking poll is 34%. That's the worst evaluation of his presidency, one point worse than in the immediate aftermath of Charlottesville. His 41% average approval rating throughout his presidency is four points lower than any of his predecessors, 
In fact, Trump is the first president in the history of polling never once to have an approval rating above 50%. While the president remains mired in petty grievances and continues to delusionally tell people that he actually won the election, his wife Melania is plotting their next moves. In her final days as first lady, Melania has largely stayed away from the West Wing. While her husband spends his time there in anger, though aides say his dark mood has lightened somewhat since he started planning a rousing military send-off for himself tomorrow morning. She's shown no signs of any disappointment that this era is ending. Instead, our Mary Jordan, who wrote a biography of Melania, reports that she's been busying herself with finding a new school for her son, Baron, in Florida. Several people who have been in touch with her say she's aware of the intense criticism that she and her husband have gotten since the January 6th riot, but that unlike her spouse, she appears completely unfazed. She's focused on what she has control over, choreographing her own exit, trying to cement her legacy as someone who devoted a lot of time to renovating the White House, including building a tennis pavilion, and making plans to continue her Be Best initiative against, you can't make it up, cyberbullying. One person close to the president says it can be hard to predict what will set him off the most. And that even with everything else that's going on right now, he is particularly irate that Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, Tom Hanks, and other stars agreed to perform as part of Joe Biden's inaugural celebrations, but snubbed him. The First Lady is expected to be heavily involved going forward in the site selection, planning, and design of the Trump Presidential Library, which will almost certainly be located in Florida. Her stepdaughter, Ivanka Trump, also has expressed interest in being involved in planning the library. Snubbed by the Trumps, Joe and Jill Biden will be greeted when they arrive at the White House tomorrow by Chief Usher Timothy Harleth. The Trumps hired Harleth back in 2017 from the Trump Hotel in D.C. He's not expected to stick around long. After Biden becomes president, he will go to a ceremonial wreath-laying ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery. He'll be joined by George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Bill Clinton. By the time that's over and Biden arrives at his new home at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, all of Trump's paraphernalia will be gone, and new mattresses and box springs will be installed in all of the White House bedrooms. But while Donald and Melania Trump slept in separate rooms over the past four years, the Bidens will share a bed. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Tuesday. Number one, the FBI privately warned law enforcement agencies last night that far-right extremists have been actively discussing posing as members of the National Guard in Washington as part of a bid to infiltrate and disrupt Biden's inauguration. Carol Lennig and Matt Zapatosky report that the FBI also said it has observed people downloading and sharing maps of sensitive locations in and around Washington. They've been looking for potentially soft targets, and the defenses at those facilities are being rapidly reinforced and otherwise shored up. But the intelligence briefing did not identify any specific plots to attack the events that would be akin to the siege of January 6th. National Guard members are being warned today to watch for anyone in uniform who looks like they're out of place. The FBI and the Justice Department's Sedition Task Force continue to probe possible nexuses between different pro-Trump extremist groups who were involved in the insurrection. Though no one has been charged yet with leading or directing the violence, investigators are working to find out whether certain individuals helped coordinate aspects of the attack, 
before and during the chaos, or whether they were simply opportunistic instigators. Devlin Barrett and Spencer Sue report that the weekend arrests of people with alleged ties to extremist groups reflect the FBI's increasing focus on the more prepared, organized, and determined groups among the larger mass of rioters. One of the newly charged is a guy from Colorado who's linked to three different extremist groups that are drawing the most attention from agents, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and the Three Percenters. Last night, in related news, federal authorities said that they nabbed Capitol rioter Riley June Williams after she had fled her home in Pennsylvania and reportedly tried to go off the grid in an effort to escape capture. I told you about her yesterday. Counterintelligence teams are investigating claims from a former romantic partner that she stole a laptop or hard drive from Nancy Pelosi's office with the intent to sell it to the Russian government. According to charging documents, the ex-partner told the FBI that friends of Williams played a video of her stealing the drive from Pelosi's office and that Williams, quote, intended to send the computer drive to a friend in Russia who then planned to sell the device to the SVR. That's their CIA. She is in custody this morning. Number two, more firearms were sold last year in America than in any previous year on record. Gun sales typically soar in the weeks following the election of a Democratic president as buyers scurry to purchase firearms for fear that a new chief executive will fulfill campaign promises to tighten regulations. But a new analysis of gun sales in 2020 by half a dozen of my colleagues finds no such surge in recent weeks, and that's because the baseline was so high. Purchases started to soar last March and then in April as the effort to curb the spread of the coronavirus led to food shortages, empty streets, and millions of lost jobs and desperate people looking to feed their families. Firearm sales peaked in July during the weeks after massive protests against police brutality spread throughout the nation. Over the course of the year, 23 million guns were sold legally in the United States. That's a 64% increase over 2019. In fact, more than 8 million Americans bought a gun for the first time in 2020. Sherry Derku, who owns a nail salon in suburban Pittsburgh, is one of them. She had never owned a gun until last year. On Thursday, she bought her 11th firearm. It's a shotgun. She plans to keep it behind the front door of her home. Sherry says she spent her first stimulus check on buying more guns. Now she packs a pistol in her purse and keeps another behind the cash register at her shop. She's going to the range every couple of weeks to target practice. She said she and her partner intend to keep stockpiling firearms and ammo until this passes. The 52-year-old explained that they're doing this because, quote, we're two women. We don't have a guy at home, and I don't want to feel vulnerable. Number three, several Senate committees today will hold confirmation hearings for members of Biden's national security team, but the last-minute rush means that most, if not all of them, will not be confirmed by the end of Inauguration Day. It is a crammed schedule up on Capitol Hill. Avril Haines for Director of National Intelligence, Alejandra Mayorkas for Homeland Security Secretary, Tony Blinken for Secretary of State, Janet Yellen for Treasury, and Lloyd Austin for Defense. Five hearings on one day is unusual, but it's the result of compounded delays caused by factors including those Georgia Senate runoffs, paperwork disputes, and partisan gridlock. Fallout from the riot further stymied the process, and Trump's impending impeachment trial could slow it even more. 
we still don't know when the House is going to send the articles over and when that trial will even begin. Even if the Senate manages to squeeze in some confirmation votes on Biden's first full day in office, the road ahead is unclear for Austin and Mayorkas. Austin, a retired general whose military service ended in 2016, requires a waiver that needs to pass the House and the Senate before he can take over as the top civilian at the Pentagon. That may not pass until next week, although it seems that they have the votes to make it happen. Mayorkas, meanwhile, faces Republican grievances that as Deputy Homeland Security Secretary under Obama, he was accused of using an immigrant visa program to secure investments for political allies' pet projects. This is a charge Mayorkas denies. Mayorkas is a former federal prosecutor, not some liberal activist. He would be the first Latino and first immigrant in charge of DHS. Born in Cuba to Jewish parents and a mother who escaped the Holocaust, he was raised in Southern California, painfully aware of the losses undergirding his family's American success story. Through his Romanian-born mother, whose relatives were murdered by the Nazis, Mayorkas discovered the horrors that can unfold when refugees cannot flee to safety. Through his Cuban-born father, he learned someone can love a country and still feel compelled to leave it forever. Speaking of immigration, our Sungmin Kim got a first look at the draft of the immigration proposal that Biden plans to release tomorrow afternoon. The plan includes an eight-year pathway to citizenship for immigrants without legal status and a dramatic expansion of refugee admissions, along with an enforcement plan that deploys more technology to patrol the border. Biden's legislative proposal also includes a heavy focus on addressing the root causes of migration from Central America. That was a key focus of Biden when he was vice president. Tomorrow, Biden will also announce new ethics rules that go beyond what was put in place by Trump. Biden will ban his senior presidential appointees from accepting special bonuses akin to golden parachutes from former employers when they join the government. For departing administration employees, Biden's new rules will create a prohibition on lobbying the administration for at least the length of Biden's term and add a one-year restriction on assisting lobbying efforts. For people coming to the government from the private sector, Biden will reimpose a ban on lobbyists going to work for agencies that they recently lobbied, unless they get a special waiver from the White House counsel. Trump removed that restriction when he came into office. Biden will also impose restrictions on registered foreign agents who seek jobs in his administration, something Trump didn't do, and he'll ban former officials from working as foreign agents right after they leave office. Now, the ethics order does not address the issue of potential family conflicts of interest. Biden has several family members involved in businesses that have interests in federal policy, including his son-in-law and campaign advisor, Howard Krein, who runs a healthcare startup, and his brother-in-law, John Owens, who owns a Delaware-based telemedicine company that markets itself as a solution amid pandemic restrictions with medical second opinion operations in Europe and Asia. Biden's son, Hunter, who previously worked for foreign companies and is facing an ongoing tax investigation by the Justice Department, has pledged not to work for any foreign-owned companies as long as his father is president. This afternoon, Joe Biden will leave his home in Wilmington, Delaware, and he'll travel to Washington. This evening, he and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will speak at the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool to honor the American lives that have been lost to the coronavirus. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, January 19th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.